the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The rapture of the church is that time when Christ descends and he will call out all true believers. He will snatch them up to be with him. And at that time, those who have died in Christ will be resurrected. But we who are alive will be changed and will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and always to be with him. An eager anticipation of the return of Christ for his church ought to motivate us to live for him. Christianity is sometimes criticized as being a pie-in-the-sky religion. But in the first place, authentic Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship. And in the second place, yes, there is a pie-in-the-sky aspect to it. But maintaining an awareness of and an anticipation for the return of Christ and our being caught up to meet Him in the air has a tremendous effect on the here and now. The joyful anticipation of the rapture ought to influence every aspect of our lives. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside since 1981. Verse by Verse Ministries is a tool for making his practical messages available to a wider audience. For the past several weeks, we have been engaged in an in-depth study of the third chapter of Philippians. Today we will conclude that study. Have you ever lived in a different culture than that in which you were born? It is challenging sometimes, isn't it? In a very real sense, those of us who are born again into the family of God live in a foreign culture. Heaven is our home, not this world. But this world constantly pressures us to conform, to fit in. How do we maintain our identity as a Christian in the face of that pressure? By where we keep our focus in life. And here is Pastor Steve to explain. Now, Paul's point in verses 17 through 19 is that if you keep your eyes on Christ and fellowship with him and pursue Christ-likeness and spiritual goals, you won't be interested in religion. You won't gravitate towards that or any error, any system out to confuse you. Now, let me, let me say what I wanted to say in terms of, of application about the religion of today, which is psychology and, and therapy. Once again, I want you to understand, I am not referring to biblical counselors, and I I recommend biblical counselors. I send people to biblical counselors. Those good people who will tell you about sin and those people who will tell you what God wants you to do. What I am growing very, very concerned about are counselors who tell us that the only road to recovery is years of therapy rather than obedience to the clear truths of Scripture. In a recent Christian magazine, one editorial told about a woman who telephoned, this true story, telephoned a Christian radio broadcast that offers live counseling to its callers. Now, this woman called up and she said she had a sexual problem. And she said that she felt powerless to change this problem. And uh, she wants to know what she should do. Now, the counselor suggested, and this is 
Christian radio. Uh, this is not a group that claims to be secular. But the counselor suggested that her conduct was the result of wounds inflicted by a passive father and an overbearing mother. And he said, and I quote, there is no simple road to recovery. Your problem won't go away. It's an addiction, and these things usually require extended counseling. You will probably need years and years of therapy to overcome your need for illicit sex. Now, you say, what has this got to do with Philippians? Where are you in your thinking? Well, the new religion and renew, the new religious threat to the church today is man-centered psychology that claims to be able to make you a better person to sanctify you through therapy, to help you understand yourself better, to get you back in touch with your feelings. That's the language they use. That you are dysfunctional without them. You need to understand and go back in your past and know what makes you tick. Know why you're like you are. Listen, I know why I'm like I am, and I've got real uh, problems with that, but that's not going to give me a solution. The solution is, what do I do about it? This religion is saying, if you don't see an analyst regularly, you can't function as you should. Now, all of us struggle with, with our backgrounds and sin and its consequences, but the answer isn't to get in touch with your feelings or look inside your heart. In fact, the Bible says the heart's going to deceive you. In fact, I don't want to know all these things about myself. It's too depressing. The woman with the sexual problem didn't need a lesson on her parents. You know what she needed to hear? Flee immorality. Paul didn't say you need years of therapy. Paul said flee immorality. Paul said walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul didn't say you need to see me once a week and pay me a lot of money and uh, maybe I can help you by delving into your past. Knowing your past is not going to tell you the solution to how you deal with your problem. Fellowship with Christ is still the cure to drifting off into some other system to make you more sanctified. You already have what you need to be complete, a complete person. You have the Lord Jesus Christ, and the only and only the Spirit of God can give you victory over the sin uh, over sin and flesh. Fellowship with Christ, and you'll have the answers to your problems and struggles. You fellowship with Christ, and He will make clear to you through the Word of God, and as you spend time in His presence, what your problems are. So I just think by way, and I don't want to stretch the truth here, but I just think we need to be cautioned about that because that is the new religion that's saying we claim to sanctify you. We, we, the Bible's not enough. We can help you. Uh, someone recently, one of our elders told me there's, they're doing some research now on people who have been through therapy for years. This generation has been through it, and they're finding that they're worse off than when they ever started. So you want the cure to, to thinking you need something other than Christ and going beyond him and they can help you and they'll help you be functional and so forth. Fellowship with Christ. There's another aspect to this and, and we look at this, another uh, fold in this antidote for religion and that is not only fellowship with Christ but focus on heaven. We look at verse 20 please. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 19, Paul said that the legalists set their mind on earthly things, but by contrast, that's not to be our focus. Our focus is to be on heavenly things. Why? Because we're citizens of heaven. Now, I told you before this would be especially meaningful to the Philippians because they were 800 miles away from Rome, but they were citizens of Rome. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony. 
in the midst of a Greek culture. Unique. You may think that that was ordinary, but that was not ordinary. They were unique. They were very special. The Philippians were citizens of Rome. Very few people were really citizens of Rome. Very few, but they were. Philippi, a Roman colony, inhabitants were Roman, city, uh, Roman citizens. They spoke Latin. They did not speak Greek. They had names for their Latin names for their uh, magistrates, not Greek names. They dressed as Romans. They did not dress as Greeks. And so they were Roman in every sense of the word. They knew what it was to be citizens of a far-off land, aliens living in a far-off land. And that's the way it is for us. And that's why Paul uses this, because we are citizens, a colony of, of heaven's citizens on earth. Therefore, we're to be preoccupied with heaven. Don't you think the citizens of Philippi wondered what was going on back at Rome, their relatives, government issues? If they could, they probably got the Rome Gazette every week or something like that. Well, we're to be preoccupied with heaven like that, not earthly things. We're not to be attracted by the things that the world has to offer. Why? Because we died to the world, Colossians 3.1, and we came alive to a new dimension that's heaven. In Colossians, just one book over, Colossians 3.1, Paul writes, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And the word isn't if you've been raised up, since you've been raised up. That's the thought. You came alive to a new dimension in heaven. And our minds are to focus on divine truths, on heavenly things. Why? Why should we, How is it going to help us in being delivered from religion? Because Christ is in heaven. He and he's coming back to rapture his church. Look at verse 20 again. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason we ought to be so preoccupied about heaven is, is not just because we're thinking of going there, but we're thinking of the person who's coming for us. And I think Paul's talking about the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is that time when Christ descends and he will call out all true believers. He will snatch them up to be with him. And at that time, those who have died in Christ will be resurrected. But we who are alive will be changed and will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and always to be with him. An eager anticipation of the return of Christ for his church ought to motivate us to live for him. Do you realize that if you keep in mind the return of Jesus Christ, it will have a purifying effect on your life? I want, I want to show you that. First John chapter 3 verse 3, and then Titus chapter 2. 1 John 3, 3 says this. He's speaking about knowing him and about seeing him as he is. And then he says in verse 3, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him, that is on Christ and his return, purifies himself just as he is pure. You want to be pure in your life? You want to fellowship with Christ? You want to grow in him? Then keep in mind that the Lord is coming. Remind yourself, put up a little sign somewhere in your home, perhaps today. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. That's how the early church greeted one another. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. And he's coming for us. In Titus chapter 2, Paul writes in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ 
Jesus. The blessed hope of the rapture is all part of, of living sensibly and righteously in this age. The grace of God has appeared. We ought to live because Christ has saved us, but we also are purified and live righteously because he's coming back for us. This is what will help you to walk with the Lord and, and turn away from anyone that offers you something as a cheap substitute for fellowship with Christ. Indeed, each one of us is just a heartbeat away from seeing God face to face. It may be through death or it may be through the rapture. An awareness of that fact has to affect our every thought and decision. In case you just joined us, you are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is planning a trip to Israel this coming spring, and he would like to have you come along if you can. I'll let him tell you more about it. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff from Verse by Verse here on WTBM. I want to tell you about an exciting opportunity to join me on a trip to Israel I'll be leading this May. We'll be visiting those sites in Israel where Jesus ministered, such places as Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee, the Mount of Beatitudes, the Mount of Olives, Jerusalem, and, and so many more sites. If you're interested in learning more about this tour, then you can call the following number and ask for more information. The number is 877-768-2784, extension 111. That's 877-768-2784, extension 111. The tour dates are May 5th through the 14th. I hope you can join us. One more time, that number is 877-768-2784 extension 111. Let's return to class now and think about how dwelling on the return of Christ affects our everyday living. Do you dwell on Christ's return? I mean, do you really think about it? Or is it just something to debate? Do you really dwell on Christ's return? What if he came today? How should you be living you know, they asked Donald Barnhouse that, the great Philadelphia pastor and Bible teacher of a few years ago. They said, if you knew that Christ was coming tomorrow, how would you live today? He said, the same way I plan to live. See, that's what, what the Bible's talking about. You ought not to say, I've got to change. You ought to say, I'm going to do exactly what I plan to do because I live in the light of his return. You see, if you don't dwell on, on Christ's return and, and have your minds occupied with, with things above, then you're going to be carnally attracted to the things that this world has to offer to make you feel good about yourself, to try to get you to, to function, to sort of get the praise of men, to make your own desires your God. Your mind is on heaven. You, you just kind of shut that stuff off. It's not important. What's, what's important is living for Jesus Christ. You see, the Judaizers were trying to get the Philippians, this is interesting, to go back to the law of Moses. And Paul was trying to get the Philippians to look ahead to the return of Christ. Don't go back, look ahead. Now what happens to us when Christ raptures us? Verse 21, Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself? Before we look at this verse, I want to explain something that is misunderstood. The King James Version translates the beginning of this verse this way, who will change our vile body. Now that gives us the wrong impression, the wrong impression. And 
the reason they've translated it that way, I'm, I'm certain, is because vile during King James time did not mean what it does today. And there are a number of words like that. We just, you know, don't uh, speak like that. When we say vile, we mean evil, worthless, corrupt, filthy, terrible. Is that what the Bible says about our bodies? Some Christians think that way. Some Christians think that way. The Greeks believed that. The Greek view of the body was that it was evil. The body is not evil. The body can be used as an instrument, as a vehicle for unrighteousness or for righteousness, but the body in and of itself is not evil. It's what you do with your body that's, that's evil or righteous. Our bodies can be misused, but they are not bad. They are not vile. No, the way this ought to be translated so that you get the, the real meaning of the text is the body of our humiliation or humble state. He'll change our humble bodies. And our bodies are humble these days, very low in that sense. Low in the sense that they're subject to, to sin, to weakness, to pain, to disease, to temptation. But someday we're going to be raptured or we're going to die and your bodies are going to be changed. Christ will change our bodies so that they will be like his, glorified. No limitations, no diseases, no temptation to sin, no pain. Let's look back at 1 John 3.2. We looked at 1 John 3.3, but the verse before that tells us this. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. Now, I can't give you the details of that. What's it, what is it going to be like? The closest we have is how Jesus functioned after the resurrection. Walked through doors. Uh, he apparently had the ability to conceal his identity from others. I, we don't know a whole lot about the body, but I'll tell you what. If it's like Christ, it's fine for me. This one hasn't been very good. I want that one. But what Paul is saying is that we will be transformed into his glorious body like his. But the question that many people have is, well, but what if we die first? What, what if we die? Are we still going to be transformed? Sure, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52 tell us that we'll be transformed. Notice this, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is to say, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Every believer is going to be changed. Sometimes people have trouble with this. Sometimes believers think, well, how can Christ change the body of martyrs who were burned at the stake? or who were eaten by lions, or Christians who were blown up in war. Is that, a power, is that a problem for the Lord? Maybe a problem for us, not a problem for Him. Notice the end of Philippians 3.21. How does He do this? By the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. In other words, if Christ has the power to subject everything in the universe to Himself, then He certainly has the power to refashion our lowly body so that we will have a form like His glorious body. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I do know that he has the power to subject everything in the universe to himself, so the resurrection is no problem for him. I have no idea scientifically how he's going to do all this, but I know that he has the power to do whatever he wants. And that's what this verse is saying. Now, why would this truth cure the Philippians as well as, as us from ever considering religion or anything that someone says will make us uh, whole or something we need in addition to Christ? What is the appeal of religion? 
rules, regulations will make you acceptable and good in God's sight, fully sanctified. What is Paul saying here? You want to be perfect? Wait for Christ to come back. He'll make you perfect. What was the struggle they were having? Paul said, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not there. But Paul said, I will be when he takes me home. What was the struggle going on? We want to be sanctified. We want to be really holy. And Paul says, you keep your eyes on Christ. You fellowship with him. You grow in him and you'll grow in holiness. You focus on heaven. And as you focus on heaven, you will be changed daily. You'll become pure. And, and when he comes back for you, he'll make you completely pure. Purifying hope. The cure to religion is fellowship with the Lord, grow in Him, dwell on Him, desire to be like Him, focus on Heaven because that's where He comes from to make you like Him. If you keep these two truths in mind, you will not be susceptible when someone comes knocking on your door and saying, you know, I'm glad you have Christ, but you need something more. Or when some counselor says, I'm glad that you believe. It's good. It's good that you believe, but you need to see me for about half a year and I'll help you. We'll work through your problems. We'll delve into your past. You're complete in Jesus Christ. You're complete. He is sufficient. You don't need Christ plus anything. You need to believe that. You need to act on that. Let's bow for prayer. I say to those who don't know the Savior that the message is true, certainly for you and pertinent. You only need Jesus Christ. He alone is the answer to the sin problem. I invite you. I invite you to accept Christ, which means that you repent, you turn from your sin, and you embrace Jesus Christ. You trust that he died for you. And in trusting, you surrender. You surrender not only to his plan, but to him. The call to becoming a Christian is not just to pray a prayer and ask him into your heart. The call to becoming a Christian is to embrace the Savior. Trust him as Savior and Lord. Nothing more, nothing less. I invite you to do that. I invite you to, to consider the claims of Christ. Let one of our leaders know, myself, we'll help you. Dear Christian friend, where are you in your fellowship with Jesus? I don't mean where are you in your church service. Where are you? Are you spending time with him? If you're not spending time with him, you need to. In Mark chapter 1, it said that Jesus got up very early in the morning and went out to a solitary place to pray. And that was after a busy day. So don't give God an excuse. You know how busy I am. If the Son of God, God in flesh, had a need to fellowship with the Father, then certainly you and I have a greater need. Father, I've said some things that are hard today, some things that are difficult perhaps to even receive, and I pray that there'll be no misunderstanding. I pray that you'll sort things out in people's minds, and I pray, Father, that as a result of what we've heard today, we'll draw closer to Jesus. We'll recognize that we are complete in him, that we don't need any special experiences or special religious activities or anything of that nature. We have Christ. We think of what Paul said, that in him all the treasures of wisdom are found. Help us to just dig, dig into the word, walk with him, fellowship with him, and may we be renewed in our inner man, Lord. For We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. They say that home is where the heart is. Where is your heart? 
Where is your home? If we are truly saved, then our home is in heaven, and that is where our hearts are. It was a pleasure to have you with us in class today. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For over 27 years, Pastor Steve has been serving and teaching at Lakeside, and now his expository messages come to the radio through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and the gifts of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. Today's class was the conclusion of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message at one time, you can order a CD or a cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during weekday office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Our web address is versebyverseradio.org. We have today's lesson as well as many previous ones available as audio downloads, or you can listen to them online. That's versebyverseradio.org. I hope you can join us for the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve will be launching into a new series of lessons as we study God's Word one verse at a time. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.